If you would now please turn in your Bibles to Mark chapter 1. Mark chapter 1. I will be reading verses 29 to 39. Here, for this is the word of the Lord. And immediately he left the synagogue and entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. Now Simon's mother-in-law lay ill with a fever, and immediately they told him about her. And he came and took her by the hand and lifted her up, and the fever left her, and she began to serve them. That evening at sundown, They brought to him all who were sick or oppressed by demons, and the whole city was gathered together at the door, and he healed many who were sick with various diseases, and cast out demons, sorry I repeated that, and he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him, and rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him. And they found him and said to him, Everyone is looking for you. And he said to them, Let us go on to the next towns, that I may preach there also. For that is why I came out. And he went throughout all Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Leadership, in any capacity, comes with a heavy burden and responsibility. We think of fathers and mothers as they seek to lead their children. We think of teachers who seek to teach and lead their students. We think of managers or owners of businesses who seek to lead their employees And then we think of those who hold public office and how you not only have your own family to lead, but you have an entire group of people to lead, whether it is a church or a town or a nation. And you have a group of people that seek to follow your lead. And a key element to leadership is knowing that there is a work to be done and what that work is. Here in Jesus' case, he has brought the message of the kingdom of God. He has called followers to follow him into this kingdom. He taught with authority, and now he begins the work of the kingdom. At this point, he is leading four disheveled disciples, an ignorant group. But an ignorant and immature disciple, just like any true disciple, is meant to watch what the master does and listen to what the master says. Now here he is revealing to them 
the nature of the kingdom of God and the nature of the king of that kingdom. Because later on, he will give these disciples some of that same power that he displays. Not all of it, but some of that power to establish the church in this world. Now, how does he establish his kingdom? Yes, through uh, deeds of grace and mercy. But not only that. There is one way that overrides all others that we need to make clear, especially in our day. So there are three things that he is teaching his disciples that belong to that that kingdom in some form in this world. There are three things here. First, his compassion. Secondly, his power and authority. And thirdly, His mission. That is his ultimate mission. The ultimate purpose as to why he came to earth. What his work was to do on the way to the final work on the cross. First, let us see his compassion. It is a Sabbath day. And after Jesus and his disciples leave the synagogue where Jesus taught and called out a demon from a man in front of all who were there. They went into a more private setting. Because he wasn't only seeking fame as many others tend to do. They went to the house of Simon Peter and Andrew. And there they find Peter's mother-in-law. Yes, Peter was married. He had a wife. But there was a problem With his mother-in-law. His mother-in-law lay ill with a fever. But after they saw what Jesus could do. When he called out a demon out of a man. They go to Jesus. And they tell him. About this woman. Because they knew that this guy had some kind of power. So they told him about her illness. Maybe he could do something about it. But notice the way he uses his power here. It is key. And compare it to the way he used his power to exercise the demon. When he exercised the demon, he used his words with authority among those who thought they had ultimate authority. Here, he went over to her. And took her by the hand and lifted her up. And the fever left her. When he confronted the demon, he was in a public place and displayed his authority and power. And the crowd was terrified. But here, he is in a private place with his disciples. Where no one of any importance, that is the scribes, would witness what he is about to do. Remember, it was still the Sabbath. And healing would have been viewed as a work on a day of rest. So, to their minds, he would have been transgressing the law. But out of mercy, he displays his power with compassion and healed Peter's mother-in-law, despite 
man-made traditions. For he is the great physician. And this miracle, like all miracles, identifies the significance of his coming. You see, her life at that point went from being useless to being restored. And once she was restored, what did she do? She found her life's purpose again. She served them. She served them. She was meant to serve. We are all meant to serve. What other response would you have after being healed by a man who didn't recite anything? He he didn't use medicines or herbs. All he did was reach out and touch her. He took her by the hand and lifted her up as you would a child who fell while first learning how to walk. He restored her to a healthy and an able-bodied woman. And she responds by cooking them some food, as was the custom of the day. You see, it's so easy for those of us who are healthy and young to take for granted the time that we have to serve the Lord and His church. Oh, I'll do the church thing eventually. I have other things to do that are more important and more worth my time and energy. I'll get to that when I retire. Contrast that attitude with those who are close to death, physically or spiritually, and were healed and restored and awakened. Contrast that attitude with this of Peter's mother-in-law. They rise immediately to serve with grateful adoration for their Savior. They immediately sit under His teaching and admire their Lord. What is our response to the grace of the King and His kingdom? What is our response to His compassion Because this is how he he handles all of us. He looks us in the face and handles us with compassion and mercy. Because this is what Jesus meant when he said, the kingdom of God is at hand. It is right there in front of them. And this is just a foretaste of what is yet to come. That is the restoration of all things. Where there is no more sickness, no more death, no more tears, no more pain. He is saying, what I am doing to her, this is what you can expect in the kingdom of God. Keep following me, keep believing in me, and this is what you will witness, but on a much larger scale. You will witness in a greater and unending and eternal way His compassion, His mercy. For His grace and mercy is forever in His kingdom. 
When Jesus returns, he will make many people whole again, both the living and the dead. In fact, he will give them new bodies. And all of this will be out of his compassion, mercy, and grace, because none of us deserve it. None of us deserve his compassion. And this is the king and the kingdom that we are called to serve. And it won't be private, as in this text. All will see it when he returns. The disciples saw this act of power, but they noticed his power wasn't used to abuse or manipulate like they saw coming from the leaders of their day. It was used with compassion. Jesus is a merciful and compassionate God. Now, you and I, we do not have the power that Jesus has. But Christians are called to be a people of compassion and mercy. If you have no compassion for the hurting, for the sick, for the lost, then you may not know truly the grace and compassion of our Lord. That is a warning for us because this is a mark of His work. We are not doing His work if we have no compassion, mercy, or grace. There was a need And he responded to the need. But also, there may have been a misunderstanding here. His private shindig would soon be interrupted. We're not sure if they even finished their meal before they had additional company. That evening, there was a large crowd coming to Peter's house after sundown. You see, the Sabbath day ran from... Friday, the day before, at sunset, to Saturday, the day after, at sunset. So from the time that he was at the synagogue earlier that day to sunset, word had spread of his power and in his healing a man from a demon. And in order to avoid being confronted by the religious Jewish leaders, They waited until sundown to bring all who were sick and oppressed by demons. They were anxious and worried that they would be breaking the Sabbath regulations they had been taught by the scribes and the Pharisees. But they were taught wrongly. And look at the effects. What a sad way of life that is. A lot of people speak about oppression these days. And it's true. Oppression is wrong. And here is the worst kind of oppression. Because the most important dimension of a human being is his soul. And his soul needs to be taught the word of God truly. Instead, 
The religious leaders were using their authority to overstep their boundaries and crush the souls of their people and thereby forbidding them to be healed on the Sabbath. So that would lead to crushing their physical bodies as well. So all these leaders were doing was destroying. They were so caught up in their self-made teaching and in their self-made authority that they cared not to restore their people with true and faithful teaching. Not only did they care not to restore their people, but they didn't have the power to heal them. All they did was condemn them when they were doing something wrong. And that is the worst type of teacher, preacher, or person to be around. Someone who only points out when you are wrong and only condemns. Someone who has no compassion and no understanding. Someone who only shares judgment, but not the gospel that saves from the judgment. So they were looking for a blessing on the Sabbath and not a curse. And the whole city was gathered together at the door. And he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons. In those days, sickness was believed to be brought out by demons. In, in our history, that, that was believed even up, up until recently. And many still believe that today. But here he distinguishes between those who were sick and those who were possessed. Two different groups of people who were coming to him. In the Gospels we see he heals those who have physical illness as well as physical disabilities that they may have been born with. And he also cast out demons from those who were oppressed by them. And in these works the Lord was drawing them away from their teachers who condemned them for seeking healing on the Sabbath. He drew them to himself, the only one who would be able to bless them. He drew them to himself for rest. This is why the sign outside says, come to me and I will give you rest. What an awesome Savior we have. What compassion. But secondly, we see here Jesus' power and authority on display. His power in healing and His authority in casting out demons while silencing them. Notice how it says, and He would not permit the demons to speak because they knew Him. Permit. I love that word. I love that word. What an important word. The demons couldn't do anything without Jesus' permission. Remember, the devil is still God's devil. The demons are his creation. And he has all power and authority over them. Though they seek to do Satan's prescribed will, what Satan has told them to do, they still serve God's decretive will. That that is God's overall plan. Here they knew who Jesus was, 
Yet they sought to defeat him by revealing who he was. In other words, they wanted to kill him before his time had come. So the demons thought they had power to decide when he is to be revealed and killed. But they were misinformed. There was a bit of a misunderstanding here. They have no power and no authority compared to the one who does not permit them to speak. He says when his time has come. It's because of this power and authority that we can trust Jesus. Not fear Him. We should fear Him. But He calls us in. And it's because of His power and authority that we can trust Him. We think that our illness or our sickness or the temptations that are flung at us will mean the end of us, we are mistaken. We are mistaken. Because Jesus has all authority and power to deliver us. And we can trust Him for that. But I believe there's also a misunderstanding here. The misunderstanding was that He was on a healing tour. Many believe this even today. Many believe that Jesus' significance in his ministry is that he was a healer, or worse, a faith healer. The misunderstanding is that his sole purpose was to heal everyone right there and then. That he is at everyone's beck and call. Well, why didn't he, if that was the case? Because healing wasn't the main component of his ministry. It wasn't his main purpose. And here, he wasn't seeking popularity for popularity's sake. In fact, there is this pattern in his ministry, this constant back and forth here. It goes from public to private. What he did in public was respond to the needs of the people as a compassionate God and Savior that he was. But then there was a private side to Jesus' life and ministry. That night, he may have been up pretty late healing and casting out demons. And yet, rising very early in the morning while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place and there he prayed. He left the crowd behind to isolate himself back in the wilderness to commune with his father. He needed a time of refreshing before he was in the public again. Imagine the God of the universe taking on a fallen body, not a sinful body, a fallen body with the burden of saving the lost. He needed a break. I understand we all need a break. Sometimes, I know many of us have little chance to pray alone in an isolated area. But Jesus gives a pattern to follow even in our own lives. Even though I think his burden was a little heavier. 
It doesn't say here what he prayed for. He may have been praying about what he should do next. He may have been talking to his father about all of these people coming out to him to be healed. Yet they will not seek the kingdom. Yes, healing and casting out demons were important to his ministry. But it wasn't all that there was to his ministry. I would conclude that healing wasn't the main focus of his ministry at all. Yes, he went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. But that wasn't all. He also spoke. I know it might be hard for many of us to believe, but he didn't just do good things. He also taught a lot. He used words. I know that's not popular in our culture today and not popular in many churches, but he taught. This is the way that Jesus taught about Jesus. And what he was about. No, there is nothing wrong with doing good. Christians are called to do good. But not just for the sake of doing good. It's not just for goodness sake. But for the sake of the one who called us to do good. It is for Christ's sake. That is the difference between the church and the world. We do good because of the one who called us to do good. But the sad reality is that many of these people came to Jesus just for the healing. They came to him just so they can receive something out of it. There were people who desired to only benefit from his power. So imagine that kind of burden on him. And that, and that gives us a hint as to why he needed to pray. The disciples didn't understand at this point the importance of a true bond and communion with God. And we often do not understand the importance of it. They were pretty impressed with what Jesus was doing. And many wanted to capitalize on it. They wanted to benefit from it. Look at what the disciples did and said. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him. A better way to understand the translation is that they tracked and hunted him down. And they found him. And they tried to lightly rebuke him. They said, everyone is looking for you. In other words, Jesus, you are a superstar now. What are you doing praying out here all alone? You have this big ministry. You have all these people following you. If you were on Facebook or Twitter, you would get all these likes. If we continue on like this, who knows? You could plant the mega church right here in Capernaum. If it were any of us, we would jump on that opportunity immediately. 
Imagine the cash that would, I mean, imagine the people we would reach. Popularity is a great temptation. But how did Jesus respond? He said this, Let us go on to the next towns, that I may preach there also. He said, let's go. It's it's time to move on. They have seen what I am capable of. They have had a foretaste of the kingdom of God. Now I need to move on and tell others so that they can hear what it's all about. And he made sure that they knew what he was all about. He made sure that they knew that preaching is why he came out. Or a better way to translate that is why he came to this world in the first place. He came as a preacher. That was his purpose. His primary mission was not a wonder worker like a magician or a local witch doctor. Healing is what he did as a compassionate and gracious savior, but his main work to do in this world was to preach and to teach up until his final work on the cross. If healing was all that he came to do, the question again, why didn't he heal everyone? Why didn't he heal everyone? Preaching was his main task, and the other was to die in order to be raised. He wanted all to hear the good news and respond. And preaching becomes the main task of the church as well. How are they to believe in him of whom they never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? Again, there's nothing wrong with the church doing good in our community. Actually, it ought to come from a faith in a gracious and compassionate Savior. But the church's main task is to preach and teach. Yes, doing good for our neighbors may draw them in, but it does nothing unless they hear the words of salvation. It does nothing without the gospel. And sometimes the reaction to the preaching that comes from the community around us may not be what we expected or what we like. They might turn their backs. At this point, he is drawing large crowds because those crowds were getting what they wanted. They were not there for the truth. They were not there for the kingdom, nor to hear the gospel of the kingdom. They were not there to receive him as their Lord and Savior. Many people today attend church for what they can get out of it. Maybe it's a good social gathering. They're attending for the wrong reasons. They're not in church in order to receive the Savior. They're not in church for the truth. Like these crowds, they are probably there for self-improvement. They want to receive a blessing. They want healing. They want to show, but they don't want to hear about Jesus and what He said. There is nothing wrong with going to Jesus and praying for healing. But what use is it if we do not hear, want to hear the truth about Jesus and who he is? 
What is the use of it if we do not love Jesus? What is the use of it if we haven't received Him by faith? They don't care about who Jesus is. They only care about what they can get out of Him. And this is much like people today who are caught up in the so-called faith healers, the prosperity gospel preachers, the seeker-friendly churches. Many people were caught up in Jesus' popularity and power that He leaves to go somewhere else to preach to a, a smaller and quiet community. Because after some time, when he does preach the truth about who he truly is, what happens? He is crucified. He is crucified. The crowds will no longer surround him with admiration, but they'll surround him with disgust and hatred. Now the danger for us is that we can treat God like this as well. We may only go to God when we are healthy when we are sick but not when we are healthy we can come to church for the wrong reasons for self help rather than to hear what he has to say in his word how many times have i heard someone teach others how to preach from the motive because they they do not like when preachers preach through whole books of the bible they say you need to be careful doing that because you might miss something. You, you might miss being relevant. Make sure you pick passages and topics from the Bible that people will really want to hear. So in other words, they want to make church popular. Make sure your preaching is relevant. Uh, my response is yes, preaching must be relevant. But guess what? The Bible is always, all the time, relevant. His word is always relevant. You need to hear all of what the scripture says, all of it, at the same time. I know that's impossible, but that's what you need. There is not one passage that I'll read to you right now that is not relevant to where you are in your situation in your life right now. There's not one. Now whether or not you want to hear it, that's another issue. You need to hear all of it at the same time, no matter where you are in life. You always need to hear about Jesus. No matter where you are in life, every bit of scripture will relate to where you are right now in your experience. I just hope that you're listening. I hope that you're listening. Because we are not here just for self-help. Does the church help? Of course it does. Does the gathering help? Of course it does. Does the encouragement that comes from the saints help one another in our lives and in our struggles? Of course it does. But mainly, we are here for Jesus. We are here because of Jesus. We are here to hear His word. Let us not make a criterion in our minds, kind of like a mental radio station that tunes in and out of sermons based on whether or not it relates to me. 
Oh, he is speaking about that problem. That doesn't relate to me. I'll just tune out. Why is he talking about sin? I need comfort. I need health. I need money. I need, I need, I need. Notice the pattern. That is the same pattern of Israel in the wilderness. Man telling God what he needs. Don't you think Jesus knows what you need? He knows what you need. When we gather, we need to hear from him. We need to hear from his word. Many will turn from Jesus because he preaches the truth of himself and the coming kingdom and how to be saved from the wrath of God. And get this, he passes this trade down to his disciples. And eventually when they begin to preach, many will also turn from him, from them. Many will turn from them and persecute them. And same goes for us. If we preach the truth or live in light of that truth, as Peter says, we too will be persecuted. There was no problem with Jesus when he was doing good, healing, and casting out demons. There is no problem with the church when she is doing good in the world or in society. But as soon as we teach objective truth, truth that is unmoved, untarnished by the world, the truth about God and His existence, the truth that Jesus is God, the truth about sin as it is defined in Scripture, not sin as it is defined out there, but sin as it is defined in Scripture, as soon as we start teaching that, and the truth about death and hell, as soon as we teach that Jesus is the only Savior of men, many will turn from the church. Many will leave. So we're not to be surprised. We can draw in large crowds for a season, and then another season lose many. But this here remains our mission. That is the Great Commission. We're to continue to preach and teach and live Christ crucified, Christ raised. Pray that the Lord would help us, encourage us, strengthen us, embolden us to continue in that mission today. Amen. Let us pray.